You're listening to Spinning Around with Haile Minogue on Area 3000. And we're back, aren't we lucky, you and I, for being blessed with a good chat and that sensational mix that makes you want to spank a plate of steamed hands from AM to PM. You None of what I said made any sense, but I feel that you understand where I'm coming from here. Thank you, Fora, for another stunning mix to add to the series. I couldn't be happier to have you on board this show. Hope you're all loving life this evening. It is around 7 or just past 7 p.m. AEST. And remember, folks, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, yeah! Thanks for tuning in for more conversations and mixes with dance music's latest and greatest. Oh, God. It just gets the blood pumping. Our next guest tonight is a NAM-based DJ, producer, and self-described militant raver. So if you see him in the crowd during your next set, you best protect yourself with some dance floor weaponry. Originally from Oxford, UK, he's affiliated with labels Fly By Night and Circular Jaw and runs his very own show with our London-based cousins Threads Radio on the third Tuesday of every month. He's had a lot of head-stomping releases with Eck Records, Left, Right and Center, Cyber Domain and more, with his own seismic brand of Jagged Electro, Broken Techno and UK bass. Many may recognize him for his freaked out flip of Shy Girl's original Freak, but he's recently released a single eight or nine feet above, as well as a new album called A Disappeared Regime of Materiality that features remixes from Tom Place and Denim Audio. I highly Recommend you check this album out, by the way, friends. Wow, we it is a real fucking head knocker, this one. I'm stoked to be chatting to him tonight to round out the show. My guest is none other than Jack, a.k.a. Head Chef. Hey, Jack, welcome to the show. How are you going? I'm great, Jay. Thanks for having me. That is one of the craziest intros I've ever heard. You're an artist. Oh, thank you. It took me several, several tries, but I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to confirm uh, a burning question that I've had about you for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Are you actually a chef? Oh, it's a loaded question, Jay. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I've never worked as a chef. Um, I like to I like to cook and I like to make food, but no, I'm not a chef at all. The, the name just comes from... Um, uh, when I was sort of choosing a new alias, a new project about whatever it was, what, four years ago. Yeah. I've always liked names like actress or surgeon. Yeah. Those sort of names where it's like either an occupation or a certain type of person that really resonated with me. And I just thought head chef is just like, it's, I don't know. I don't know if I'd pick the same name again, but like, oh, no, it, I think it's cool. I think, I think it's memorable. You, you, if you saw head chef on a fly, you'd remember it, wouldn't you? So, of course. And, and you went with the Def Leppard styling of spelling and everything. So. <laughs> Yeah, my, my main influence is 80s hair metal, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Death well, Leopard spelling, yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. The only reason I ask is because I've seen, in an interview that you've done before, you said that in a post-lockdown dinner party, you would cook up langoustine tails, caper salad, and beer batter wafers, then a Greek-style lamb stew, several bottles of Malbec, cream brulee, and a nice armagnac. God, I hate myself. Can you can you make can you make all of that? Yeah, can you oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That? So, so you're a real uh, cooking aficionado. A bon vivant, perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> or just a okay. pretentious cunt. Yeah, one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like I like food. I like. I like nice things, should we say, yeah. I see. Your partner must be very, very happy. We get by. We get by. Okay, excellent. <laughs> uh, you actually, uh, in that very same interview, by the way, described yourself as widely discredited and that you look like a melted waxwork version of Sharon Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> 
like, oh, firstly, I can't I, believe the Sharon Osborne thing is getting up this early. Like, I thought this might be something I would be able to avoid. I don't think um, you look anything like a melted wax book. Well, that's the greatest compliment anyone's ever paid me. Thank you very much. You see, right, so when I've got a bit of hair going on, I don't know, like someone called me Sharon Osborne. Well, this is this is many years ago. When I think when I was right, in school, right. and it, it just continued for so long. I mean, it's just, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's a very it's, good it's burn. A, it's a very solid. Good burn. Yeah. Solid. By the way, we we keep. Uh, harking back to the idea that you know you came over here from uh, Oxford, UK. Tell me about this move. You moved over to Melbourne uh, or Nam in 2019, mm-hmm. and this could be arguably one of the worst years to have moved to the city. <laughs> well, it was it was the start of 2019, so I did get the whole of 2019. Hang on, is it? Would it be 2019? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Jan- January 4th, 2019. Yeah, yeah. And and was it a, a an exciting move? Was it a difficult move? How have you found it? It was just lovely, really. It was definitely the best decision I've ever made. Um, yeah, before I moved over in the UK, I was just taking a lot of drugs, <laughs> like limping through the work week. Um, I was I was having fun, you know. I was going to cool parties and that, but yeah. I wasn't really happy. Oh. Um, and I sort of been at the same job for four years, and I wasn't really making any decisions. And then my dear friend Jimmy, who moved over here a couple of years beforehand basically just said to me why don't you come to australia wow and so i sold my car quit my job and and that's that really i sort of yeah it was really? a very, very fast decision yeah holy yeah, shit yeah i think i went from making the decision to literally being here with a with a backpack on my back in it took about three or four weeks so. you must have been miserable oh do you know what yeah what, what makes it worse <laughs> yeah what makes it worse is i landed in melbourne yeah my first to like you know find somewhere to live, find yeah. a job, set up my life. After getting back from Episode Festival in Vietnam, which if you don't know, is an 11, uh, 11 day, 24 hour a day. Festival. What the fuck? 11 yeah. days? Yeah, Holy it's 11 shit. days solid. Yeah, 24 hours a day. That's a hell of a part. How do you survive that? 11 days? Do you Are you going hard for 11 days? Well, here's the thing, Jay, about 11 days party, particularly when you can get valiums over the counter in Vietnam <laughs> is that you, you wake up and you go what day is it and you go I don't know like you think you've been there for three days but of course you've been there for eight or nine Whoa. Um, and yeah so on the day I was going to be from Melbourne I woke up and I thought right cool who's DJing today let's get down to the festival um, and I realised I've got a flight to Melbourne in three hours oh my god and that was that yeah I landed in Melbourne and that was uh, yeah wow so so it, it was certainly a, an interesting introduction but yeah still still the best best decision ever made by far well interesting uh, are, you, are you enjoying the weather a lot more than uh, than the UK sure yeah people really love to complain about Melbourne weather don't they they love it they love <laughs> oh, you never know what's going to happen it's going to rain I mean, all I say to you yeah is if you ever spend any amount of time in Northern Europe you will not complain about Melbourne's weather I don't know what you lot are talking about 15 degrees is not cold no, like, it just not. isn't like you guys don't know what winter means when you're scraping ice off your car in the morning on a hangover at half by seven turning your car on for 20 minutes before you drive to work then you can tell me about the weather until then I love it here I think it's wonderful even the the winters in Melbourne it's it's lovely man there's nothing wrong with it there's that saying that a lot of people have where uh, they feel that the weather in the UK is what makes the people so hard and so so hardened to to suffering and just the trials and tribulations of life would you agree with that? well uh, (laughs) there's many other factors that's that's one factor of many why (laughs) the UK and the British are miserable terrible people in an awful country would you would you describe yourself as one of those people uh, even now after having spent this much time well here? i can't escape it can i it's not like you know what i mean like i for, for better or worse and it is clearly for worse i am english and i hate it and i hate it and i live in australia my girlfriend's irish you know what i mean like 
I can't escape my Englishness, unfortunately. I'd love to, but no, 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 I am one of those British people. Do you know what else you can't escape? It's your past, because <laughs> I have found out. <laughs> oh, God. Check. How, that, how, uh, how low? <laughs> uh, why did I agree to this? Uh, that you were uh, also once called a different name, and that was Zyklon Sound. Zyklon Sound, yeah. Not only that, but you also had a very, very heavy emo fringe uh, back in those days as well. <laughs> See, this is where the Sharon Osbourne thing comes. From. You see what I mean? Do you, do you now understand? I do. But but what I don't understand is Zyklon sound. What is what is that name? Where does that come? So from? Zyklon is uh, it's German for hurricane, like cyclone, right? Oh right. And at the time, I was enjoying names like Pearson Sound or like whatever sound. Yeah. And that's why well, Zyklon Sound just it just sounded really cool to me. Very cool. I mean, I was making all sorts from sort of like that sort of post dubsteppy future garagey stuff to like more like Jack in House and like broken UK bass and stuff. Yeah. Um. So yeah, um, the move to Head Chef just became, I can't even remember what it was exactly. Um, you just got sick of it? Yeah, I just got sick of it. It's like, I don't know, the Zyklon Sound project, the, the, the stuff that I was making when I got into making sort of the more sparse UK bass, industrial techno, electro and all that kind of thing. It didn't really fit with like, it wasn't coherent. It wasn't coherent with my previous releases. Oh, it just sort right, of right. needed it needed a new project, really. Okay, excellent. Where do you see Head Chef going? Just pushing the futurism, really. Just pushing. Just just keep going, right? I think the electro format, as much as it does rely on the sort of mid eighties sci-fi tropes a little bit, I think there is so much space within that format just for pu- pushing futurism, right? And pushing just like sounds that throw you off balance and sounds that sound you know kind of new, not relying on the same sort of like Drexia templates mm. <laughs> as much as what you know obviously you know yeah give, giving all credit to the to, to the giants that came before us um but yeah it's just about pushing that sort of locked groove dance music format yeah as far out into the future as i can and what what does that sound like to you i don't i don't i don't really know i don't i don't have like a an image in my mind i guess the, the beauty of dance music the beauty of working with electronic instruments and so on is that you get inspired by the sound itself you, yeah. you don't have to write lyrics and play on a guitar you can just mess around with since become inspired by the sound itself. Yeah. Which I guess I think is the main point. But yeah, just anything like uh, every sort of piece of sound design or bass tone or whatever I, I put into a track, I want that to be new and I want that to be sort of surprising. Right. And I want that to be impactful. And I don't think there's really, I don't think that's ever really going to come to an end. You know, I think that, that, that could be many lifetimes worth of work. So yeah. yeah. I don't know if I answered your question, but. <laughs> no, I, I think, I think you have, I feel like, um, the approach that you've been taking with a, uh, a disappeared regime of materiality, uh, this has been being rinsed by a lot of people yeah. um, on the scene at the moment, which is, which is, I think, incredibly deserved because I also have been rinsing this thing and it's fucking awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. This particular release, do you feel like you were taking that sort of direction there or do you feel like it came more subconsciously? No, I think, I think it was quite deliberate with that release. Yeah. A bit of background. I only moved over into using Ableton in January of this year. What were you using before? Reason. Reason? Reason. What? Right, no yeah. one uses reason wow. i know and, and for, now i understand why it's ridiculous it's a ridiculous software look it's brilliant I, uh, look full disclosure i still use reason like you can use reason as a vst in ableton yeah um and i do that all the time okay but basically when i moved over to ableton just i don't know it was like just like a weight got taken off and i was just fully able to sort of see things in a much more musical way right. uh, as compared to using reason where i just got Every track I made, I sort of got lost in wires and devices, and I didn't really know how to progress after a while. So I think with the Disappear Regime of Materiality, that was the first four tracks that I thought worked really coherently that actually expressed what I was trying to do. Right. Um, so there was a few sort of tracks here and there that, you know, 
did have that sort of futurism about them, but they didn't really work coherently. Um, and when Fly By Night asked, asked me for a release and asked me for demos, um, those four tracks were like, that, that, that was a correct expression of where I was at musically at the time. Wow. And I think if you, if you are lucky enough to ever have that, then that's what deserves to be released. Do you see what I mean? And, and so you feel as though every release that you've had before this wasn't quite an accurate representation of where you were at? Not quite, no. Wow. I think uh, of all the releases I've had before, there was some element of releasing them because I want a release. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or like because the labels asked for them and that's the ones that they want, so I'll just go along with it. Sure. Yeah, I think this is the first time where I've actually put out a body of work that is exactly as I meant it. Exactly as I meant that's it. That's really cool. It, it's really cool to know that just by flipping the software that you're using, you've gained more possession over your actual artistic work. Absolutely. And I'm very grateful to have had the experience because I've been making music for, oh God, how old am I? Oh God, nearly 15 years. Jeez. What, you've been mu- making music 15 years? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I've been making music since I was 13. Wow. Yeah. Electronic music since I was 13. Yeah. What were you making when you were younger? Oh, well, I made all sorts. Jesus, I could dig some things out of the archive for you. I started off making happy hardcore. Bullshit. Basically. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah Hell yeah. yeah. I, I've, I've probably made 100 to 150 <laughs> happy hardcore tunes. Was this yeah. during like the Newground uh, era? It would have been 2006. 2006. So was that was in full. Um, Hardcore Euphoria Clubland oh. CD compilation things, yeah, yeah. Wait, so so you were were you someone that went to the clubs? What from like the age of thirteen, fourteen? No, no, okay. no. I had no sort of guidance. I had no sort of older sibling that would play me his records. I had like my, my neither of my parents were into it at all. Yeah. All I would do, I okay. So I heard an advert for one of these like CD compilations of Happy Hardcore on the TV, right? And I was just like, what is that? I need that. Um, <laughs> So I asked my I asked one of my parents to to, to buy me that, and then um, from there I was just like picking up copies of Mix Mag and reading about Ibiza <laughs> and reading about this like alien world. Whoa. And like, no, nobody nobody at school was into it. I had no one else. I was purely in this world on my own. Right. And I was just thinking like, I can't wait to be eighteen so I can go to Ibiza so I can go to these clubs that are advertised in these magazines that I read and listening to all the CDs that came with them. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a lonely way of discovering what is quite a communal experience. Good question, though. Did you end up going to Ibiza and fulfilling your 18-year-old dream? Yeah, I did. How was it? Three or four times. Yeah, I've been to Ibiza a few times, yeah. <laughs> it must be yeah. good if you went that many times. I think nothing really could have ever lived up to the to the sort of childish dream that I had. But nevertheless, Ibiza was fun and I'm sure I'm sure it may still be fun now I don't know I, I saw that you were regularly DJing the cellar yeah, in Oxford yeah. that's very cool to me because you were saying that you were making music that was specifically designed for that dance floor yeah and it seems as though that you're still doing that to this day Ooh. the other interesting thing to me was that uh, you were also playing at around the same time as other artists that uh, we've heard of as well, of like uh, uh, Addison Groove, uh, Paul Wolford, uh, DJ Bedley Legal, now known as Chloe Robinson, uh, even Goldie yeah. as well. What was the scene like at the time? Like, wh- from from memory? In Oxford, you mean? Yeah. Oh, mate, it was wicked. It yeah? was wicked. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we used to play, it, it was just the cellar, basically. It was just the cellar. Right. Um, may it rest in peace, it's shut now, as all good things seem to be. Yep. Um, and this is pre-coronavirus. The seller, the seller shut a while back. But yeah, we—I used to DJ there sort of once or twice a week, and it was just—it was just incredible. It was just a lawless, punk as fuck DIY venue. It was amazing, right? So there was there was the Bullingdon as well, which is still there, which is um, in East Oxford, which which, as far as I know, is still a, still a fantastic venue. Um, but the seller is where it was really. Uh, and the scene—it it was just—it was just wicked. There was so many like young promoters who were just like coming up and just like booking their mates or just like booking like, like chipping money together and booking headliners. It was just so DIY. Um, and there was so little of the sort of 
you know, promoter politics that I now realise you find in most most cities and in most scenes. <laughs> it was great. It, it was an amazing place to learn to DJ and an amazing place to have sort of hundreds and hundreds of these clubbing experiences. Just before uh, I started talking to you today, actually, I was talking to uh, Fora, aka uh, Amy. Mm-hmm. And as you've told me, uh, Fora is a very good friend of yours, as well as Ramsey as well. How did you meet? I think there might have been something else, because I think we just have to sort of have friends with similar people. Sure. But Ramsey sent me a mix when I first asked for DJs, when I was setting up Voltage and I was looking for DJs to play. And Ramsey sent me a mix and I ignored him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why did you why did you ignore him? What was what was wrong with this mix? I can't remember. I don't think I did it deliberately. I'm just at the time particularly I was massively disorganized. I just didn't. Um so that, that, that that's the first thing that sticks out. And then Ramsey Ramsey sold me a Stone Island sweatshirt, right? Basically, because he's he's well into clothes. We're we're both into silly designer clothes and stuff. So like on a marketplace. Yeah, yeah. He had a little Instagram page that he was doing. And I, th- I think that might have been the first time we met in person. I can't. Really, there, there may have been other times. I don't know. My memory's very patchy. Okay, sure. But yeah, I got to know Ramsey through that, and then I knew Amy through that, and then I got to know Amy's music. Yeah, and yeah, well, they're, they're just both wicked people. They're just really, really good people. Let me let me bring it down a bit, uh, and just ask you about how you're getting through lockdown. Because I mean, yeah, you're producing and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, when every hour that you're not producing, uh, do you do you have downtime? Like, what do you do? I go to Coles. Uh, Sometimes I go to Woolies in Carlton. Yep. That's exciting. Okay. Um, sometimes I go outside and have a cigarette. Um, do <laughs> 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 you know what I Like, I guess what I'm doing is sort of dissociating a little bit or distancing myself from the whole thing. Like, like actually dissociating? <sighs> lightly. Lightly dissociating. Yeah. Okay. Um, because I guess, I guess for the same reason, like, Last year, I could sort of fit it into the, the grand narrative of my life, the grand narrative of how things are going. Yeah. But in this second year, it just seems I, I can barely remember a time before lockdown. I can barely remember what I did before. Yeah. Um, but no, like, in, in, you know, in a personal way, I'm, I'm still quite lucky. I'm still, you know, I still have a job. I still have a partner who I'm madly in love with. And I have, you know, a, a lot of things that I'm very grateful for. So that's all fine. It's just at the moment, I, I, I'm just postponing all constructive thought yeah <laughs> for, for another month or so you know no, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to ask you then you were talking about this grand narrative that you've had for your life pre-lockdown what was that what were you going to do i think pre-lockdown i just felt a like a positivity and a momentum behind not necessarily just like my dj career per se or whatever yeah but just like in my ability to sort of get immersed in melbourne as a city um meet new people have a lot of fun and if you know quote unquote success came with that then great but i didn't really care either way yeah because i was just so in love with the music and the and, and the the community and, and and the sound in general um so yeah i don't know i've never really i've never really been one for sort of putting together coherent plans in terms of music career or what have you because I did, it seems like setting yourself up for for disappointment but i think I was very excited for next week and then next month and then three months into the future. I just couldn't wait to experience whatever whatever Melbourne and and, and the sort of broader electronic music scene had to throw at me. Yeah. Um, and I'm just very, very excited to, to, to rekindle that because I have no doubt whatsoever that it's just dormant. Do you know what I mean? It hasn't gone anywhere. I still love it. Yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's just kind of a bizarre thing to have to do to sort of like consciously postpone... <laughs> 
your sort of yeah. greatest desires. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a it's a very interesting exercise of of patience that we've all had to yeah. get through, I suppose. Um, Was it about um, delaying gratification? Yeah. Like, this is like, I guess what I'm telling myself is like this is just an incredible exercise in delaying gratification or like fasting. Do you know what I mean? It's the gratification like, better be worth it at the end because oh, this is going to be so good. It's so- going to be so good. Oh. <laughs> we were talking about uh, this with um, uh, Alexander Powers, aka Female Wizard, where she was saying that the moment that she most looks forward to in this whole entire crisis i suppose that we're in is just that one moment that we all come out of lockdown and we go and experience music together and it's just the most meaningful thing of all time mm. we sort of had it we sort of well to be fair we did sort of have a like well i guess it was sort of like a break from lockdown didn't we in sort of January, yeah that's true. March. Yeah. that was wonderful <laughs> i played i played it in dust for the dot and i, cool. I played let me be your fantasy <laughs> as my third track and i was just like oh that came on i was yeah. like oh my god i've never felt more connected to the <laughs> yes. universe you know what i mean oh my god <laughs> This this connection to the universe, by the way, it reminds me a little bit about uh, the song titles and the titles that you've had for your album. Yeah. A disappeared regime of materiality describes to me essentially that you're becoming, I don't know, astral, <laughs> spiritual. T- talk to me about what it means to you. A disappeared regime of materiality. I think what it refers more to is our sort of transition into the digital realm. Ooh. And I think a lot of a lot of the song titles in that like, immersion requires a certain stillness. Yeah. Uh, dissolve yourself. They're all around that sort of area. Right. Um I guess the idea with those song titles is that someone might feel interested in what that means and Google it and, and go down a sort of path of of working out what these things are. What they usually are are like phrases from from books that I've read or from lectures that I've listened to. Right. They just, just strike me as powerful ideas or of like just a, a compelling set of words. It doesn't have to express the whole idea, but if it's a compelling set of words that someone might find striking and they go then to discover those sort of ideas for themselves, then I guess that's sort of the idea to it because with electronic music, you can call everything Untitled A1 and Untitled B2 if you want. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. There's no lyrics. You don't have to have the chorus as your song title. No one's going to recognize the track by the lyrics. So I think with electronic music, you're free to add that other step of, of creative expression into your tracks. True. And I think it's a missed opportunity if you don't. <laughs> it's a missed opportunity if you just call everything sort of like a vague one-word title. Well, um, well, what kind of books do you read? Oh, God. Because they seem they seem very uh, philosophical, sociological. Terrible ones. Uh, no, um... <laughs> Dissolve Yourself is a direct quote and contains a direct quote of Mark Fisher. Um, oh, is this the um, haunt, Hauntology? Hauntology, right, yeah. Is that, is that the one that we're thinking about right now? Um, I think it's probably a quote from one of his lectures based on capitalist realism. Right, okay. Um, and he's a, very, he's a very popular and quite rightly so social theorist. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, he tragically died a few years ago. Um, but yeah, like, I guess that's where I find myself and that's where I find the sort of solace in terms of how everything works is that sort of area right um mark fisher david graver um slavoj zizek or that that sort of area of, of, of social theory i find a lot of peace and solace in and a, a lot of sort of the maddening things that you think about in your head it, it's very very nice feeling to hear someone else put them into words that you aren't able to right put it into if you see what i mean so i think all, all of my song titles and a lot of the ideas that i'm sort of vaguely trying to get 
get across come from from that sort of literature yeah how do you think about the things that are wrong with the world oh mate <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the question what's well look, the question? i mean for, for me when i think about things that are wrong with the world a lot of the time for me it's like doesn't matter to me and if i feel like it does matter to me then i ask myself okay well what can you do about it if it's something that is within my means to do then I will do it. Yeah. If it's something that's not within my means to do, I'll just make a note down and say, I might as- I might do that later when I yeah. don't have the means. Yeah. Um, so, for example, like, fix racism. <laughs> you know, how the fuck do you fix racism? Go on, Jay. Come on. Stop being so lazy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not within my means. But what can I do about it? I can talk about it with mm. people. Yeah. Uh, I can uh, try and support ideas that are anti-racist. You know, those sorts of things. Um, how do you have your general approach to things that are wrong with the world. I think you can you should put as much effort as possible into the 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 smaller um things that are easier to to change from from where you are. Yeah. Um in terms of what you can what you can turn up to protest wise, what you can donate to, what you can have conversations about with your family and friends. And that is kind of empowering and that's kind of a nice place to be. And then there's like the broader sort of terrifying chasm of, of, of what's awful about the world but like i don't know it, it's a difficult one to grapple environmental with. dread environmental like. dread uh, capitalism broadly as you said racism and all of these things yeah and it's like i don't know it's hard to strike the balance between being informed um n- not in terms of reading the news and reading infographics on instagram but reading books and reading theory and being informed about what these things actually mean and where they come from and not thinking about it so much that it makes you horribly anxious and depressed and that is a, that is a difficult tightrope to walk it is really hard yeah it is really hard um jack i'm going to bring in uh one of my favorite sections that i have on this show this section is called let's get real jack i'm going to ask you a series of very invasive questions right. where i will go to the core of your being so that i may understand exactly who you are where you are from and where you may be going does that sound good to you it sounds terrifying let's do it ah that's the spirit okay here we go question number one what is something other people admire about you oh do you know how uncomfortable <laughs> i feel being nice about myself i've got this like shield of self-deprecation that i really really like standing by well then let me ask you instead of what other people admire about you what do you admire about yourself what do you actually like about yourself i quite like the way i i, I quite like the way i talk to people i think i'm quite nice to people and i'm quite um i'm quite happy with how i'm able to express myself basically yes. i think when i have thoughts in my head the thoughts that I have in my head and what comes out of my mouth are basically the same. Yes. And I think I've only been able to hone that skill quite recently. And I think that's, a, that's I'm as grateful for that as I can be for anything else. What, what do you think has helped with that? Because I personally, despite me doing this show for like fucking six months now, I still don't feel like I'm there at all. Mm. How, how, do you, how do you feel that you've gotten better at that? Just for, the, getting over, just for getting over myself, I guess. Yeah. I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Most of my life, I, think I, I, I wasn't really overly that pleasant just because I had this shield or the, 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 this sort of like um, rock star persona that I would put out there right. um, to sort of defend against anyone getting too close and discovering how sort of boring and miserable I actually was. <laughs> I, guess, I guess when, when moving to Australia, sort of, you don't, I didn't have a choice. I didn't know anyone. Nobody cared who I was. I, you know, I had to you know, do everything from scratch. So I think... That was very disarming, and that allowed me to sort of just go back. Well, then, like, what what am I actually doing? What what am I trying to get across to people? Who actually am I? Why should anyone else care? Right. And I think, I think learning to just be base level nice to people 
is something that came to be kind of a, later in life than it should do, or that it does for, I guess, other people. Was there anything that sort of flipped the switch for you growing up where you decided, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be nice to people? <laughs> like, instead of, you know... Honestly, yeah, honestly. And this is, this is getting to some fucking psychoanalytic realm that I didn't expect it to. But, honestly... It was only a few years ago. What happened a few years ago? Well, I guess before I moved to Australia, I was sort of, I had a group of friends uh, when I first moved to Bristol who were just like really nice to each other. Right. They weren't like showing off or trying to one-up each other or trying to be the most interesting person in the room all the time. They were just really nice to each other. Yeah. And I'd, I'd, it was quite disarming and I've never really experienced that. I'd never had really experienced that before. Um, and it sort of just, sort of woke me up to this like you can just be nice to people and that that's actually a really really good way of making friends and a good way of being yeah um so i sort of took that knowledge or that sort of learning experience and then when i got to australia i was like oh yeah well i can just do that thing um and then it sort of just became more and more natural i guess that's really nice yeah it's nice yeah i'm very i'm very grateful for the sort of it's been quite a quite a sort of strange rollercoaster experiences but i'm very grateful for all of it really what so so did you feel as though before you met these people that you didn't feel like you were a nice person at all. Yes. Wow. I'm quite. Yeah. Like yeah. you made it a concerted a concerted effort to not be nice. No, 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 not at all. I don't. I don't think I was. I, I was never sort of deliberately malicious. I just was very insecure, and I had a uh, surface persona of ah. just this like really outlandish, loud <laughs> rock star that I thought I was. Yeah. Just it was. It's, it's a defense mechanism. I think. I think a lot of people had the same thing. I'm glad that I was sort of given the the opportunity to get over it it's interesting though because i almost feel as though if you were growing up in that environment where you were clubbing and djing at the cellar like so regularly and being around this sort of rock star lifestyle all the time from such a young age it makes sense that you might feel as though that you had to be that all the time right it was just easy to do yeah it was just really easy to do it was just so easy just to slip into that and then sort of not actually engage with people in a, in a real way. Yeah. But yeah, I guess to answer your question, that's probably the thing that I like the most about myself <laughs> at the moment. At Excellent. Least. Okay. Question number two. What are you most likely to be arrested for? No comment, you're right. I'm not a snitch. I'm not a snitch. Um, <laughs> really? Um Make what sure you, you include that. Make sure you include that. Of course I will. Of course. Um, <laughs> what am I most Is that why you moved over here? <laughs> no. <laughs> Who's asking? Um, what's the serious answer? What were those types of risks? Oh, you don't have to. Well, nothing, man. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I've never broken the law. Never. Okay, great. This is on record. Shall I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, question number three. I know you don't like nostalgia, but what always makes you nostalgic? Early to mid two thousands, happy hardcore. Do <laughs> you still listen to it? Uh, not often. Right. Not often, because it is you know very cheesy and very bait. But it's still great, man. It's still great. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I've got some. I've got a lot of it on my on my computer still. Wow. And sometimes it will come on, and I'll be like, oh yeah, 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 and I have a little flick through. Yeah. Because it's so uncool and so cheesy. There hasn't been like a you know how there's been like a jungle revival, garage revival, endless sort of. UK recyclings of previous heydays. Yeah. And then there just hasn't been that with with that style of happy hardcore because it's so cheesy and I think no one really wants to admit to it. Do you know what I mean? But I think that's probably why there's been no revival. I can't connect it to any sort of form of moder- uh, modernity. It's just 
that music that was there at that time. Mm. So I guess, yeah. Weren't a lot of people resistant towards a UKG revival as well for that same reason, that they felt like it was a bit too cheesy? I do understand it. I mean, I do understand it. Yeah. I mean, as much as I love it and I play a lot of it in my DJ sets, yeah. but I don't, you know, I've got nothing particularly against it. But I always just think, you know, when you're trying to make Jungle that sounds like the 90s or you're trying to make, you know, Garage that sounds like the 2000s or whatever you're trying to make, when those people were making those masterpieces back in the day, they weren't thinking, oh, I want to make it sound like this thing back in the day. They were thinking, what sounds like now and what's the cool stuff that I can make now? Right. So I don't know. It seems for me in terms of production and in terms of my musicality, that would be a wasted effort. Why am I trying to make something that sounds like 1994? I'm never going to make something that sounds as good. Yeah. So why don't I make something that sounds like 2021 or 2022 or 2030? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of people who embody just like straight up futurism, I, for me, you still just have to look at electro. You have to look at, you know, a lot of my friends like False Persona, for example. Right. It's, it's just like, that's what I mean by just like sonic power and sonic futurism. And it's and there's no... Admittedly, it is still using the electro format because, you know, you've got to use some sort of format to push, push anything forward. But like producers like him and like a loca and like that whole scene mm. is just so stunning to me. And that's what I mean by sonic futurism. That, that, that's, the, that's the sort of futurism that I'm talking about, really. You don't feel like that the, that potential is present in any other genre at the moment? I mean, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. There's a lot of um, creativity and a lot of sort of very original reinvention being done in a lot of other styles. But I think it's it's the overt futurism. It's like, it, it obviously is supposed to sound sci-fi and futuristic. Right. I don't know, maybe I'm sort of retroizing it just by saying that. No, I don't think so. No. I don't know, to, to me, that that's, that's you know, it's supposed to be surprising. It's supposed to be powerful and slightly evil and slightly scary sounding, but not in like an overly abrasive way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's sort of that, that balancing act of, of locked groove interesting sound design and just pure power and i just love that you, you, you know that actually got me thinking about something so when, when craftwork sort of came onto the scene fuck even when like daft punk came onto the scene um both of them were creating sounds where a lot of people were sort of describing it as like oh like this sounds like the fucking future you mm. know what i mean and like now now you're feeling that with electro and a lot of other people are as well but i wonder Looking at those two examples, and this is not to, you know, I, I'm not trying to be condescending like mm -hmm. at all towards Electro or yeah. anything like that. But what I'm curious about is how long would it take for a particular sound to stop sounding like the future? Yeah. Does Kraftwerk or Daft Punk still sound like the future? Do they still sound like the future? Kraftwerk does. I, think. I, I would agree with that. But I yeah. think, because here's the thing, isn't it? It's touching on the sort of like end of history cancellation of the future stuff. Yeah. But like, because the sound the craft work and, and daft punk and, and even sort of a little later on than that mm. there, there was all these leaps forward in technology in terms of what the actual instruments were that the music was being created on whereas now there there isn't really any massive jumps forward in terms of what the instruments actually are everything's available everything's there we've kind of plateaued a bit yeah. and the, the development isn't in how music's made but how it's consumed yeah um, true Yes. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I think that's where this whole like referential nostalgic thing comes from. Wait, so when you talk about cancelled future, what do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, As in like, there's no future for us anymore. Like, yeah, exactly that. Wait, yeah. what? It's this idea. This idea that um, that was sort of like history is just over. And I, I think this is a Mark Fisher quote again. Okay, okay. And he he says um, what we have in the twenty. I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like what we have in the twenty first century is twentieth century culture, but via high speed internet. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry for. Do you know what I mean? It's a depressing thought. It's, uh, yeah. it's great. It's um, 
20th century culture on high definition screens via high speed internet. So it's like the, the rate at which we consume culture is accelerating, but the rate at which culture is developing is slowing do down. You, do you reckon we're limiting ourselves though by thinking like that? Like that we just assume that we can't be more creative than the people that have come before us? I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's, it's an assumption. I think it's just, it, it's not sort of looking forward as like what can be done now, but just like look, look, look back in the past 20 years. Look back at the past 20 years. Damn, you're right, yeah. I think about, like, Cybertron Clear came out in 1983. And think about how someone in 1970 or, or 1960 even, yeah. imagine them listening to that track. They would have no idea what they're hearing. That's true. And that's So let's say nicely, that's a gap of, of 23 years. Right. So then going forward to 2006, to, to, to where we are now. Look, look look back from where we are now to the year 2000 or 2003. Uh, what have we got now that someone in 2000 would be unable to believe what they were hearing? What have we got now? What has what has actually really changed the, the fabric of culture and the fabric of music in the last 21 years? Yeah. In the same way, in the same way as Jungle did or as the same way as Electro did. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I think the only genre that I can think of that would come anywhere close to that would be like post-pop sort of genre. So like, you know, Deconstructed Club, yeah. a lot of the stuff that like Sophie mm. was making. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that, yeah. There's also footwork and there's also grime. True. Um, do you know what I mean? So there's <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sort of, you know, th- there are clear examples, but I don't think not, not quite in the same way. Yeah. Not quite in the same like total paradigm shifting. Let's move on to our next question because- Sure. That was fantastic. I, I, I'm really interested. In Don't get it's very depressing. I can I can show you some books and some lectures. Like aside from this interview, but like <laughs> it's a bit of a rabbit hole. When you get in it, it's like oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Question number three: Do you have any inherent talents? Inherent talents. See, this, this is a, this is another conversation itself, isn't it? Inherent talents. I don't think so. No. I don't, at the age of twenty-eight, I don't. I think it becomes clear that, like, sure. You know I mean, you know, when you're at school and it's like, oh, you're just good at this, and this person's good at maths, and this person's good at sport, or this person's good at music, or whatever. I think when you get to this age, it's like you're only good at the things that you have kept doing over and over again. That's true. Do you know what I mean? But but have you nurtured anything that you were once naturally good at? Um, I guess so. I, I was. I was. I, I was always like. I, I was able to read from a very young age. I've always been very good at reading and picking up words and things like that. Yeah. And I guess that's something that because you because you you have to talk and you have to write and you have to read just to sort of get through your day. Um, that's something that I've become quite comfortable with. Nice. Okay. But I think inherent talent, I mean, it's like, so what? Do you know what I mean? So what? Um, <laughs> that's true. I'm much more interested in someone that, fu- that found something very difficult as a child and kept doing it until they were very good. Yeah. Rather than something that's like, oh yeah, I was good at this, but do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. Well, do you have any, do you have any one of those things for yourself? Something that you were bad at, but now that you're a lot better at? Um, I guess it's what we, what we touched on earlier, just like in my sort of interpersonal skills. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah, how, yeah, yeah, yeah. how I am as a person. Um, yeah. But in terms of just like, you know, painting or, or, or music or whatever not really no it's just music it's only ever been music to you, me. You, you've never been interested in anything else in your life not to the same extent when was the moment where you sort of realized like ah oh, this is a life thing like this is the only thing i'm doing i think i just never questioned it it never like occurred to me like oh wow this is something that i really want to make a career out of or something that i want to do forever it just like it always was even if, like an incredibly young age it always was i just have Music, music, music all the time. Um, for better or worse, do you know what I mean? But I'm assuming you have a nine to five as well. Because that's what you're implying before. Yeah. Yeah, I work I work part-time doing admin work for an auspicious RTO. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I'm lucky to have a job. That's how I look at it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's nothing to really talk about there. I just, like, obviously, unless you're very successful, you do have to work to get by. And I'm lucky enough to have 
a job that I'm able to do that allows me to make music. Were you doing something similar back when you were in the UK? Uh, yeah. I, well, no. I was uh, writing for a magazine. Oh, sweet. Okay. Um, as well as doing editing work and various other work for a, for a magazine. Right, I see. But yeah, I mean, which, 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 which is, you know, very cool. And I was very lucky to have that job. But I think if you're just... During that age, between... So I worked there from between the ages of, sort of like 22 and 26. Yeah. Or something like that. 21, 25, something around. And like during that age, I, I was just in the same office nine to five, five days a week for four years. And I, th- I think no matter what you do, you're going to want to change it in some way. Aren't you? Even if you kind of like what you're doing, yeah. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the job. I'm very grateful to have had it. But Would you ever go back to writing? Or do you still write these days? Um, no, not really. Um, do you, Have you just sort of fallen out of love with it? Or? Yeah. 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 Damn. I think I'd still like to write sort of for fun. And like, I just... So I, I enjoy language. I enjoy thinking. I, I enjoy like learning about different languages and the English language. I love like... Uh, etymology i love like learning about where words come from and what translations have certain different sort of differences between them and so on but um writing for a living mm, do you know what yeah it it it's very enjoyable um and it's a wonderful pursuit but like to be doing that as a day job takes a lot of creative energy and oh right. if i'm quite honest i'd rather be doing something for money which i can just sort of do with my brain switched off yeah and which allows me to then when i'm making music to give it my full attention and my full creative sort of um, energy. Whereas if you're doing something where, you know, you're pulling on those sort of muscles in your brain, yeah. your day job, and then trying to also be creative in your spare time. I don't know. People, you know, more disciplined and more expressive, I guess, than I am might be able to do it, but I can't do it. I, I only have sort of a limited span for that sort of thing. It, it sounds like you're reading just nonfiction these days. Do you read fiction at all? I do read fiction, yeah. I've got a couple. What have I been reading recently? So I've picked out three books here um, that I've enjoyed recently. This is um, Echolalia by Bryony Doyle. Nice. Um, which is an Australian novel that's sort of split into two chronological parts about a woman who is, I won't give too much away, but is, is dealing with grief and it's written in a very human, um, very, very interesting way. Um, that's a very powerful book. I'd recommend that highly. Um, this is Taipei by Tao Lin. Um, which is one of the most sort of bizarre, interesting in terms of not what nothing really happens in the novel, but it's just sort of how it's written in this very sort of deadpan, descriptive, emotionless sort of way. Wow! It makes it makes you feel sort of uneasy just reading it because of how the sentences are structured. Um, very, very weird. <laughs> yeah, well worth reading. And this is Carry On Jeeves by P.G. Woodhouse, which is like the Jeeves and Worcester novels to me. Like that's just pure prose stylism. Um, in terms of like. In all the books, nothing really happens. Just the same sort of stories happen, the same sort of non-events occur. But it's just an excuse for the writer to use sentences and sort of blow your mind with sort of eloquence. Yeah. So I guess that, that's sort of the theme across all the fiction I, that I enjoy, I guess. It's just like, I'm less interested in what happens as much as how it's written. That's cool. I, I really like that. It's more about the form as opposed to the substance. Mm, very much so. W- what about in music? Would you say that you have the same sort of appreciation uh, in terms of... Is it more style or is it more the substance of what you're listening to? Good question. Um, I guess with dance music in general, it's sort of, it's timbre, isn't it? A techno track can, if you actually reduce it to what it, to its constituent parts, it's just a kick drum and, and a couple of pieces of sound design for six minutes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess dance music is, it is the same in that. Yeah, it is the style. The same style over substance sounds negative, doesn't it? But it's not style over substance. It's form over descriptive content 
I guess is how I put it. Well, yeah. like I suppose when it comes to production, and and you'll probably agree with me here. Well, actually, I don't know because you actually have much more experience with production than I am. But I see it sort of as uh, requiring two two different elements, two different skills. The first being the technical production side of things, where you actually have to know how to use the hardware and the software. And then there's the second side of it, which is the actual songwriting itself. And so you actually have to know how to write tonal melodies or harmonies that actually sound decent to a human ear. Mm. I suppose, in a way, would you agree that perhaps the style is rooted in that technical production uh, aspect and the songwriting is more with the substance side of things? I think the beauty of producing dance music is that the songwriting comes sort of from the synths. Mm. It comes from the sound design. It comes from the mix down even. Yeah. Like, I, like when I'm writing music, I find it quite hard to separate what I'm doing is this mixed down or is this sound design or is this arranged because you know how loud or quiet something is is sort of part of the songwriting itself yeah um and I think with, with dance music that's or, or electronic music more broadly that's quite unique that's true yeah I don't think there's any real separation between the two um particularly when you're in that sort of like quite sound design heavy electro bassy sort of space mm. um where you know you might choose the notes of a of a certain melody based on how good they sound in the synth. True. Um, I was talking to a producer about this very interesting idea of, uh, I forgot exactly which F it is, but there is an F note um, at some particular octave when played in like an 808 kick, or or, sorry, a sub bass or whatever it is. Again, you can see how little I know about production, that it's not the brown note, but it's one where it like resonates, literally like on a scientific level, resonates in your bones. Yeah, to make you feel the music more. It, it, it's it's a really interesting concept. I mean, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know anything about the science behind it, but like myself and a, a bunch of other producer friends that I talk to, like, I have to put a concerted effort into not making every tune an F. <laughs> I like, like, honestly, making these electro bangers, man. I could just use F and F. The rest of the notes I don't need. I don't need any of them. Give me F and F sharp. Really? That's, That's it. it. Yeah, oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, listen back to some of my tracks. I probably made the, uh, <laughs> the, the I probably committed that crime on a few occasions. Right. Literally, just F and F sharp. That's the whole track. But I mean, um, if it works scientifically, then we might as well abuse it, right? I don't know I mean, about the science. I think the beauty of using an electro, you're using those sort of like high high resonance filters, very squelchy sort of sound. Yeah. So an example is my track Guillotine Clause. Yes. Um, off a disappeared regime. Um, it's actually, I think that one actually is just F and F sharp, or F and F sharp, and then like a couple of others. Oh. Um, but because because the filter moves so much, it sounds a lot more complex and a lot more, um, I guess, expressive than it actually is. Right. Because as the filter as the filter moves with the note and the way I've rooted it, it sounds like different notes, but it isn't. It's the same note. It's just the filters moving. I mean, that's just one example. That's not me giving any sort of advice, but that's just yeah, like yeah, yeah. one example of how the sound design becomes the songwriting, if that makes sense. This is a very interesting tech. I've actually, I've, o- I've only really discussed this by separating the two ideas in like a dichotomy with people. But you're the first person that I've come across 
that has actually said they're becoming one and the same in electronic music. Look, yeah, look, yeah. Uh, loads of dance music producers be like, oh, I wrote this track about this concept or about this emotion. It's like, no, you didn't. You wrote- <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. You wrote the track and then you applied the meaning afterwards to make it sound more interesting. That's, That's what you did. That's right. what they all did. Right. All of them have done that. And I've been guilty of that in the past, you know. Oh, this is a, this is a track about love, or or it's a track about like detachment and outer space. No, it isn't. You wrote a you wrote a banger because you love writing bangers, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing reductive about that. Yeah. That's that's glorious, yeah. and that's fantastic, and that's doing God's work. And then like applying a meaning to it afterwards. Mm. Um, and I think that there's there's meaning in sonic exploration. There's meaning in futurism. There's meaning in sound design. I don't think you you need to pretend that you're writing a song on a guitar because mm. what we do is cooler than that and more profound than that anyway. So why are you trying to pretend like you're Ed Sheeran? Do you know what I mean? You're not writing a song about anything. You're making bangers. Come on, be honest. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that, mate, because that's that is that always annoys me. <laughs> you didn't you didn't write a song about anything. You made a banger and you're applying this concept afterwards. But again, yeah, um, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, what's wrong with sonic exploration as an end in itself? It, it feels like almost like trying to appeal to a sort of pop music normality, which says that things have to be structured in a certain way. Sonic futurism is God's work. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel a need to pretend that I'm not just doing that. I am just doing that. But there, but the, but there's like an element of. And uh, like for better or for worse, there is an element of marketing, I suppose, to that. Mm. For yeah, for that, uh, one of the books that you were reading, uh, where it was a, just pure stylism, right? The actual substance of it, th- there's not much to it, right? And yet, there's beauty within the style in and of itself, as opposed to the mm. substance. Yeah. With attaching meaning to it, when you say like, "Oh, this means this," or "This means," that, or "This is about this," when I view it in the context of that book that you're reading, it's almost like that is the cover. And that is the, the the photos and the imagery that they're mm. using to draw the person into actually buying this piece of shit. You know? What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand um, that. I understand that, yeah. I just think applying the idea of like writing a piece of dance music about something. Yeah. It seems just incongruous with me. Like It's disingenuous. It, it is disingenuous. Yeah. That's exactly the word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. You know, I'm not sitting here being like, oh, this is definitely what's going on. I'm sure some people do yeah. make electronic music with a certain concept in mind or a certain emotion in mind. I'm certainly not suggesting that that isn't the case. Um, but I think for a lot, I think a lot of dance music producers and musicians feel the need to um, place their music in this sort of like normal pop music realm to justify its existence. You mm. don't need to justify its existence. It's beautiful as it is. That's fucking true. I like that. I like that. People, if you're out there and you're making music, just fucking appreciate it for what it is. It's It, it doesn't have to be. Anything. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which actually so. reminds me kind of of what you were saying about how you live your life. Like, you don't actually have to apply any sort of, like, formal narrative to it. You just live. And, like, that's how you just have to be, you mm. know? Enjoy that present moment that you're in. Let's actually <laughs> try and um, fit you into a box here. Question number Go three. On, what stereotype are you most like? Okay, so the, uh, the English guy <laughs> it's from Oxford. You know what I, mean? I, get, I just have... I just have um, yeah. I love drinking cups of tea, and I love talking nonsense. Do um, you like scones? Yeah. I'm not crazy about them. I'm not crazy. You know, they're great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's the problem, though. You guys don't have clotted cream. That's the big problem about Australia. Cottage cream? Clotted cream. What's clotted cream? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so let me ask you this question, Jay. When, when you're eating scones, what are you eating them with? Jam and butter. Jam and butter? That's, that's all we have. 
Shut up, man. I, I'm an open-minded guy, but like jam and butter. You you guys need to, I'm gonna find some, I'm gonna buy you a tub of clotted cream. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say this right now, people. If you're out there eating scones, eat it with hummus. Ramsey is gonna fucking hate that. Oh my god, I was gonna start to say that. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> it's like you just said a racial slur on the radio or something. Jesus Christ. Eat your scones you with hummus, such- people. That's that's the way it's apparently meant to be. Don't do that. This, Don't do this that. radio interview has been brought to you by Sabra. <laughs> Big up, Sabra. Big up, Sabra. <laughs> um, All right. Next question. Next question. What expensive thing to you is absolutely worth the money? See what? Yeah, Jay. We've just had a nice, broad conversation touching on consumerism, yes. materialism, and capital. Mm-hmm. I'm just a sucker for expensive things generally. Like, how expensive are we talking? I mean, about? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm broke. I don't have that much money. No, no I know, but like, do you like but, expensive um, cars? Is that no, 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 no? I'm sure I would if I was able able to have them. No, I'm just a sucker for like nice champagne oh. or just like nice clothes, nice food. Mm, do you know what I mean? Just mm. like that sort of thing. Just like nice things broadly. I have a sort of a bit of a not a problem, but I guess <laughs> like a bit of a. Um, if there's like an option of four different things and I don't get the best one, I'll walk away from it and be like, oh, well, I could have got the best one. Oh, like, wow. So that, that's why I'm just a sucker. I'm, I'm the most like um, financially irresponsible person ever. I'm, I'm so Do bad. reading those books then on, on like social theory of how capitalism is just not working for people, does that make you feel like <laughs> capitalist guilt about the way that you like respond to these situations? <sighs> See, this is the big question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> no, I'm just an awful hypocritical champagne socialist. That's what it is to it. I'm, I'm just a terrible person. Um, and I can moan about the state of things whilst completely being a sucker for them. Yeah. I'm quite I'm quite open about that. All right. Well, I mean, look, not not many people would be. Uh, for, for myself, I am the kind of person that will go uh, to a supermarket and, like, I'll buy the second cheapest thing. Because if I buy the cheapest thing, I know it's the worst thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if it's the second cheapest thing, it's yeah. not the worst. No, I understand. You know? No, I just get like a lot of joy, particularly during lockdown. Like I, I get a lot of joy out of just like nothing outlandish, but just like buying high quality ingredients and cooking food from scratch. Like, is that, you know. <sighs> I mean, if you've got um, money to burn, why not, right? <sighs> is that consumerist? Is that uh, consumerist? Like, kinda. is this like, I mean, we all have to, we all, we, we, we all have to eat, right? And everyone has to eat food. I'm not going to criticize anyone for, for, Anyway, they, they they like to of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. consume or enjoy food. But it's like for me that there's, there's there's so much joy, so much simple, deep joy in buying quality ingredients and cooking food from scratch. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely something I think is worth the money, and that I'm not really willing to compromise on. How many recipes do you know? Do you know off the top of your head? A few, like more more than fifty. Yeah, yeah, hundred, uh, maybe hundred. I don't know. I think. When it, I can't believe we're touching on cooking. This is brilliant. This is the best interview ever by miles, by miles and miles and miles. And I think when you start to sort of become proficient in a certain region or a certain style of cooking, yeah. then you sort of understand why things are cooked a certain way, where these things come from, what the heritage is, what the you know geography or the you know attitude of the people puts into that food. Yeah. And then once you once you understand that, you can sort of freestyle a bit easier, and you're not gonna come up with anything super weird i would agree with you i feel like it's once you know the basics of cooking you can sort of freestyle anything yeah they maybe not culturally accurately but you can freestyle yeah but i like to i like to keep things culturally accurate really yeah yeah, yeah. because it's like it's sort of just like respect for i guess elders is the wrong word but respect for tradition respect for where these things come from yeah Um, and i think like any other art form when you're cooking if you um 
if you learn the rules, you can break the rules more effectively, right? Like anything else. True. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Well, what what cultures do you enjoy cooking in? You know what? Ramsey has got me so obsessed with Middle Eastern food. Ooh, and like, Ram- yes. Ramsey, Ramsey goes to such extent to find like shawarmas. Like we 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 drive to Broadmeadows to get a shawarma. Broadmeadows. Yeah. Are you saying that this is where the best shawarma is in Melbourne? This is right a bit now? of a trade secret. Oh um, shit. So I'm not going to say anything. Um, <laughs> People, if you're looking for a you want to get Ramsey, have you have you had Ramsey on this show? Uh, not yet. It's get Ramsey happen. on the show and just get him to talk about shawarmas for an hour because he will do it. He will do it. Honestly. He, sh- he shared me his favorite hummus recipe recently, actually. I need to try that out. Uh, next question. If you died today, what would be your biggest regret? Biggest regret? <laughs> it's a uh, heavy question. Um, hey. <laughs> it is. I don't, I, I, don't think, I don't think I really have any regrets. Not really. At all. I mean, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things I've done in the past which I'm not proud of. And there's a lot of things that like, we're sort of embarrassing all the time or we're just straight up not, not good decisions or whatever. But I don't regret anything. No, not really. Not really, no. I guess it would be like, I would wish that I got to do more. But I think it's a quote, I, I don't know who said it. It might have been A.A. Gill or, or someone along those lines yeah. that said like, if I died tomorrow, it wouldn't be one of more sex or champagne or something along those lines. Um, <laughs> which I think is just really fabulous. It's a really nice thing to, to the way to think about things that like, as much as you might have a feeling that everyone else is always having more fun or having more sex with you, uh, having more sex than you or doing more drugs than you, whatever else, like, ultimately, if you have done those things once, you have just sort of done them. That's true. Um, yeah, actually. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? You don't, you don't have to do more sex, drugs and champagne. Once you've done it, once, what, give it a good go. Do you know what I mean? You do need to give it a good go. But um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think once, once you reach your late 20s, like that stuff, like don't regret not doing more of that stuff because true. it's fine. Like that's fine. It only brings you a certain. That's a really, that's a Did really I answer nice your question. Way. Yeah, no, no, no. no, no. Uh, look, there you go. This is a really nice way of looking. I've never heard of that sort of way of looking at life before, and this has really put a lot of perspective to it. Mm. Wow, I'm going to be so much happier after this interview. I swear to oh, God. Oh, that's great news. Well, that's fantastic. That's brilliant. Wow, this is a really nice idea. I like that. Do you have a bucket list? Like, are there things that you want to do before you die? Like, jump out of a plane, something like that. I did jump. Out, I jumped out of a plane only a couple of months ago. Oh shit! How was it? Underwhelming. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> You're jumping out of a know, fucking I don't, plane. I don't know if I'm just saying that. Here's the thing, Jay. I don't. When I say things, I don't know if I actually believe the room or if I'm just saying it. But I mean, what, what I were you know. expecting? Go, come jumping out of the plane. I don't know. I jumped out of the plane over um, over Ellie Beach. It was wonderful. Okay, and it wasn't thrilling whatsoever. I don't know. It was definitely thrilling. Of course, the feeling that you're going to die always sort of, you know, gives you a bit of yeah, bit of get up and go, doesn't it? Yeah, but. Um, it was all over so quickly that I never really got a chance to process it. Like oh. you go up in a plane and then you sort of like jump out and you're falling through the air. And by, by the time you know it, you're sort of back on the ground. My, my brain was still sort of like whirring to catch up. Oh, shit. Um, wow. Okay. Bit of a strange one. Sorry, what was your question? No, no, no. no. I'm so bad at this. Uh, I, I suppose we were talking about the bucket list. Okay, what else is going to be on the bucket list? Aside from jumping out of a plane, which you've already done. Sure, yeah, I, I would just like to I would just like to see more places, meet more people. Just like all this lockdown stuff. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Of course, I could say, oh, I'd love to play... Uh, Burkhide, or I'd love to play this festival or that club or whatever. But at the end of the day, like I would just like to go to more places, meet more people, have 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 more, more experiences. Do you know what I mean? Not necessarily good or bad, just more of it, more different things all the time. Mr. Cyclone Sound, have you ever been in <laughs> Burkhide before? No, no, no. Have you tried? Yes. Yeah, yeah I've tried. Yeah. How long? How, how long? How long did you wait? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't wait long at all. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was just like looking back on it, it was just so obvious that we weren't going to get in. But like me and my friends had been on like as you do a several day bender in Berlin. It's yeah. As you do. Yeah. And he was just like, well, should we just like we're, we're, we're nearby? Should we just go to Berkheim? 
I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah, no worries. We just sort of like pounded up towards the gate. Uh-huh. And like, there was no queue. I, I don't know what time it was. It was Sunday evening or so. I don't know what time. I don't know what we were doing. But like, the guy just took one look at us and was like, Pfft. No, <laughs> obviously not. And I was like, oh, what? Like these, these people, what's wrong with us? I felt really like dejected, like I wasn't allowed into the cool kids club. Do you know what I mean? But then actually like looking back on it, like we hadn't slept with it. Like we were clearly, clearly not equipped. Right. And, like right. I, I, I sort of, regla- he, he, the guy on the door made the right decision. What was I saying? All right. Let's, uh, let's move on to our very, very last question. And then we'll wrap up and go into this mix that you've made for us. By the way, thank you so much for making this mix. I really do appreciate it. You're more than welcome. Thanks for having me on. It's been wonderful. All right. Last, last question for you now. How did you and your partner meet? Oh, that's nice, isn't it? Tell me the story. Tell me the story. Me and my partner met um, in Thailand three years ago. Oh, nice. She was actually, I think, the first person I met when I went to Thailand. It was very nice. And we met there. And then she moved to Melbourne, as did I. We were purely friends. Nothing more. Yep. Um, and we just stayed in contact. We were, we were just sort of like, you know, liked each other as friends and that was that. Um, and then about a year ago, we met up and we did some MDMA together. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what, what can I say? You know, what I mean? you know, the rest, as they say, is history. You're telling me that that was the flip. That you went from being friends to yeah, being... very much so. I, I think we we we, we very much like respected each other and liked each other and met up with each other and whatever else. But there there was no sort of um, inclination that it might be anything more than that. But then yeah, when, when we added add a little magic to the situation, it sort of changes things. And I think it, yeah, it sort of permanently sort of changed how, how we saw each other. And that's so since then it's just been wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm not, don't do drugs, kids. Do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, of course. Drugs, drugs are bad for you. Drugs are very bad. I've had a lot of bad experiences with drugs. Don't do drugs. But if you're going to do drugs, <laughs> do MDMA and mushrooms. <laughs> what do you like about it? What's what's the thing that you actually enjoy about her company? Uh, what do I like about my, my girlfriend's company? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I don't know who she is. She is. Her name's Orla. She's from Ireland. She's the most wonderful person I've ever met. Um, She's just, um, aside from being gorgeous and being funny and being very sharp, um, she's also just incredibly empathetic and incredibly human and just incredibly pleasant mm. and in, just totally unpretentious and has no sort of, this is quite a weird, maybe an unusual thing to say, but she's not hiding from anything. Ooh. And I think a lot of people in our sort of space that we tend to meet are sort of hiding from something or are kind of unsure of, who they are or what they're doing. Yeah. And I think when we, when we met, she was just so open with who she is and, and completely comfortable in who she is that I found a lot of comfort and a lot of confidence in that. It, it, it's it's very cool to sort of recognize this theme that I feel like you have in your life where you seem to really value authenticity and genuineness in people. Yeah. I mean, of course, like, like that is probably something that we should all be <laughs> valuing. Um, but- the fact that you've sort of recognised that as a pro- as a centre of focus, yeah, um, for you and your social interactions is very nice. I'd agree. Yeah, I think particularly because in in the music scene, amongst you know producers and DJs, it's often difficult to work out if someone is talking to you as an actual friend or if they're mm. talking to you because they want to build rapport with you so that they could ask a favour in the future. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's not networking. It's just showing up for other people's shit, as 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 Byron Scullin from Mess said to me. So said to my class. So. Yeah, so I think I think it, it, it's quite easy to see it, and like I guess being in the music scene sort of hones your ability to see bullshit. Yeah, and I just I don't, know, just don't have any time for it. <laughs> <laughs> don't have any time for it. Well, good. There, there's too little time uh, to be wasted, especially when we're in an industry like this. But yeah, 
Jack, thank you so, so much for wasting what precious time you do have with me here <laughs> um, on this show. I've got all re- the time in the world. I, I recognize it has been a, a spaghetti junction of questions um, where we've covered so many different topics, mm. all of which I've loved. But I think it just goes to show uh, just how much depth there is to um, who you are. And of course, like we, I've only really known you from your music and your, uh, your social media profiles. Mm. And so to actually get to know, to see how deep this chasm actually goes <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is very, very pleasant for me. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I appreciate you revealing what you have um, today. And I appreciate you also revealing the secrets of your track list, which I'm very much looking forward to playing for everybody here tonight. Fresh produce on the market, people. This chef here is going to definitely cook us up something real good. <laughs> Thank you so much once again. You've been listening to Spinning Around with Haile Minogue on Area 3000, playing head chef right now. Sweet.